Um, I, I got to pick on Aaron for a second. Did you really say that meeting won't last like but an hour? <laughs> Dude, if it goes an hour, I'm going to be home and napping by then. <laughs> no, if that meeting goes an hour, we're in trouble. Um, calendar keeps moving, annual directory and all that good stuff, and uh, before you know it, we'll be gathering with families eating turkey and pumpkin pie, and, uh, which is good with me because we can get rid of pumpkin spice season now. I'm ready to call it over, okay? <laughs> I'm spiced out, um, spiced out. Um, so you may be wondering why Genesis and why chapter 12. Um, I want to give you some background this morning. Um, I have some unfinished business. I went back and looked. In the summer of 2018, in May of 2018, we began preaching through Genesis 1 through 11. And I know many of you weren't here for that, but it took us from May to October, and we preached through chapters 1 through 11. And someone said to me when they heard that I was going to be preaching the life of Abraham, why aren't you in the patriarchs, why aren't you starting at the beginning? Well, I already did. So um, if you haven't gotten those messages, you'll just have to get on the Podbean. I think they're archived there. Um, you'll have to listen to them on your own time. But we kind of have to comment on the first 11 chapters to start at chapter 12. And one of the things that we learned was, if you don't get the beginning of God's word right, you're not going to get the rest of it right. If you don't get Genesis 1 right, you're not going to get the rest of the, of the Bible right, let, let alone the book of Genesis. Genesis 1 through 11 deal with the first roughly 1,750 years of man's history. And the rest of the book that we're going to be covering in the following weeks only deals with about 600 years of man's history. But in those first 11 chapters, we get some really important key themes that, that we need to keep in mind as we get to chapter 12. In fact, turn with me to the very first verse, because Moses, as he authors this, is really clear as to what the whole Bible is about. And as God gives him the privilege to author the first book, he says, in the beginning, God. And you just stop there. In the beginning, God. This book, this, this Bible that we hold so dear, this is God's story. This is about God revealing himself to us. This isn't about us going to the book and finding what we need to get through the day or, or, or turning it into something man-centered. This is God's revelation of himself. And, and even as we go through this book and we, we begin with the life of Abraham, yeah, Abraham's going to be the quote-unquote main character, but make no mistake, it's God himself who's revealing himself to us through the story of Abraham and then Abraham's descendants. We have some key ideas here. We have God introduced as the eternal one, as the central theme of entire scripture, and he begins by revealing himself to us through creation. And as soon as you come to the creation account, Genesis 1-1, we have a dilemma that we have to deal with immediately with the scriptures. We have a dilemma that we have to answer. And, and I am confident in saying this. I'm not cocky in saying this. It's not a dilemma for me or the rest of the elders of this church or for what we preach and teach. And the dilemma that some people face is, okay, 
is this account in Genesis chapter 1 and following, is it just an allegory? Is it story? Is, is, there, is there room for, for some interpretation here? Or is it the literal, historical, grammatical word of God? Which one is it? And I'm going to submit to you that beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and ending at the book of Revelation, we have a book that has been written for us by Almighty God, inspired by His Holy Spirit, that is to be interpreted literally, historically, and grammatically. What do I mean by that? Literally, literally means to take it for its plain meaning. To take it for its plain meaning. So, for instance, when God says that he created the, 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 the heavens and the earth in day one, he meant a literal 24-hour day. And if you can't believe that because of science, then you're trying to limit Almighty God. What do we mean by historically and grammatically? What we mean is, is that whenever God authored Scripture... He had an original author who had an original intent for the original recipients of that, that scripture. And if you and I don't take the time to unpack what God meant for the original people who heard this, what the original writer wrote, then we're not going to get it right, and we're going to be able to twist it and bend it into anything that we wanted to say for today. And you wonder why. There are supposed churches out there that are doing some of the things they're doing because they don't take a historical, literal, grammatical view of the scriptures. So, Genesis chapter 1, we preach and teach without apology that it details a literal six-day account of creation, six 24-hour day account of creation. And in that, we have the creation order established. And, and I know this is review, but I want to point it out to you. We see some important things there. Number one, that man is created in God's image. What we're being taught today, what our kids are being taught in school today, is that they're nothing but an elevated form of a higher, a higher animal. They're just, a, they're just a really intelligent form of an animal that descended from some kind of protoplasm long ago that started with a big band. No. Understand this, you and I are created in the very image of God. And at the end of that day of creation, God said, this is very good. This is very good. We see man created in two definite genders. Yes, I said that. Man and woman. Man and woman. We see marriage and family established between a man and a woman. We see God's plan for man to work and to rest. Yes, I said that. God's original intention was that we would be workers. In fact, I believe when we are a part of the new creation, we will get to experience something that we've never experienced here on this earth. Enjoyable work. Enjoyable work. But we also see as we move forward, we see the account of the fall, and we see the curse, and we have the first gospel presentation in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where God very clearly announces, okay, you've won this skirmish, but here's how I'm going to win the war. We learn early on about Satan and his devices. We learn very early on about how he schemes, and we also learn that we all carry the curse of sin, but praise God, we learn God's redemptive plan as well. We then move forward, and we learn what life is like in a fallen world. 
We, we read the account of Cain and Abel in chapter 4, and we find out that man falls so far that, that by the time that you get to chapter 6, we have a demonic race running around here on this earth. And you hear God say that, 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 he, that he can't even believe what he's done here, and that's not a statement that should make us doubt God. It's just God in, in, in writing it so that we can understand how, how God in his plan has come to this point where he has to get now to the point where he is going to destroy what he created. And he destroys it with a literal worldwide flood. And he destroys all of creation, but he preserves his promise. And then by the time we come to chapter 11, we have man repeating the same things that got him into trouble and caused the flood, and God comes down, and he literally confuses the, the languages, and, and what we have here is, in chapter 11, a really important proof text for us, because chapter 11 is really clear that we're all one human race with different ethnicities, and if our world would just understand that today, we wouldn't have the racial issues that we're dealing with today. All of us, as human beings, are created in God's image. We're one race with different ethnicities. That's the first reason I want to preach this, is because there's unfinished business. We only got through chapter 11. But there's a second reason I want to preach this moving forward now in Genesis 12 through the end of the book. And that is this, if you're a child of God, you desperately need a good understanding of the Old Testament if you are to understand the New Testament. I grew up and went to a church early on as a child where we never heard the Old Testament preached. And I can remember my, my mother asking the pastor of that church why he never preached from the Old Testament. And he said, well, we're the church age. We need to hear stuff from the church age. We are. We're the church age. But I want to tell you, if you don't understand your Old Testament, you're not going to understand a lot of what's written in your New Testament. You're not going to. And I've got, there's a method to my madness. I've got a plan. I've got a dream. I have a dream. And my goal is, once we preach through Genesis, we're going to roll right into the book of Romans. We're going to roll right into the book of Romans. And if you don't understand Genesis, you can't understand Romans. If you don't see for yourself, if we don't unpack the words, beginning in Genesis chapter 12 about Abraham, when we get to Romans and we get to chapters 2 and 3 and 4, and Paul introduces the subject of Abraham, then we're going to be like, oh, what's this all about? If we, don't, if we don't look at what happens between Esau and Jacob, by the time we get to Romans chapter 9, we're not going to understand what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 9. And so, there's a method to my madness. We'll probably get to Romans like in 2026, I don't know. And I'll probably die in Romans chapter 3. You're, you're forewarned, okay? Don't say I didn't warn you. But there's a third reason I want to preach this, and, and quite honestly, it's a very personal one. It's a very personal one. It was approximately 23 and a half years ago that I was teaching the teens of the church where Amy and I were a part of about the patriarchs. And I was teaching through the life of Abraham, and I was teaching Isaac and Jacob. 
And as, as I was teaching that, God was working in my heart through a variety of circumstances and working in our lives to call us into the ministry, and I was doing everything I could to resist that. I will be the first to tell you, I threw up every objection, and God just kind of flicked him aside. And it was one night, about 23 and a half years ago, a Wednesday night, I remember it vividly, after teaching on Abraham, that I went home and my wife said to me, you know, you do all this talking to the teens about stepping out in faith, and yet God's clearly doing something here. When are you going to step out in faith? <laughs> yeah. God used these specific passages to confirm his call in my life. And you guys are the beneficiaries of that. And so... This morning, let's go to Romans chapter 12. And we're not just going to be in Romans chapter 12 this morning. We're going to be looking at two New Testament passages that, that give us further understanding about this specific passage. I want to read Romans chapter, excuse me, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through, yeah. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, and then Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 11. So let's, let's get our Bibles open this morning, get your phones open, take Facebook off and put your Bible app on. And Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Keep your finger here. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen's message just before he's going to get stoned. And he has one last chance to just let it all hang out, and he does. <laughs> And he begins his message with Abraham, verse 2 of Acts chapter 7. And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in the land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years, but I will judge the nations that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. Move forward in your scriptures to Hebrews chapter 11. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Let's go back to Genesis 12, and let's pray briefly. Father, we thank you for your word. Use the time that we have to bring it to bear in our hearts this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If we go to back now to Genesis, if you flip back just a couple pages to chapter 9, I want you to see some backstory. Noah is an old man. They've gone through the flood, and Noah is now pronouncing blessing on his three sons. And in chapter 26, he provides a blessing and pronounces a blessing on Shem. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, that's his other son of three, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And God uses this blessing of Noah to foreshadow what's now going to unfold for us in the rest of the book. He says, let Canaan be Shem's servant and let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. And what God is saying here to Shem is that spiritual blessing is going to come on this earth through the line of Shem. It's going to be Shem's line that God chose. But now 365 years have passed. And there's been no real inkling of any blessing coming on the earth. Have you ever gone a long time waiting on God's promise? None of us have ever gone 365 years. If you have, I need to talk to you later. I need to know something about you. When, when man's rebellion is detailed in chapter 11 of Genesis, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any blessing here on earth. And at the end of chapter 11, we find out in verse 27 that there's a guy named Terah who just happens to come from the line of Shem. And Terah fathered three guys, Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. In Ur of the Chaldeans. Why is that important? Because it was a godless society. It was a pagan society full of all kinds of false worship. They worshiped planets. They worshiped the sun. They worshiped, they worshiped mostly things in the sky in, in Ur. And it's while in Ur, verse 31, we learn that Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. We find out that they're set to go to Canaan, but they only make it as far as Haran, which corresponds, and I want you to understand this, your, your Bible is correct, it doesn't contradict itself, which corresponds with what Stephen preaches in Acts chapter 7. Abram didn't receive one call, but he received two calls. He had two calls from God. He's kind of like that Scarberry guy who has a really hard head, he had to have it knocked in twice. The call is not detailed, 
The call is not detailed. Look with me at chapter 12. I think sometimes we expect that God, when He wants us to do something, is going to give us like what you and I would do. He would fill out a full itinerary for us, tell exactly when something is going to happen, tell us exactly how it's going to unfold, tell us how everyone around us is going to react, point out to us all the pitfalls, and then He's going to say, just go do it. If God did that, that would not be very loving of God, quite honestly, because I don't know about you, life is full of a lot of hardship, and if I knew the hardship before I started, I probably would never start. Anybody else with me? Abram's life had a lot of hardship that he was going to face, and God just said this to him. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. We read it just briefly a few moments ago. From your country and from your kindred and your father's house, go to the land that I will show you. Simple instructions. Get up and go. And I'd be like, okay, which direction are we going? You don't need to know. Just get up, get yourself ready to go, and I'm going to direct you. God's the ultimate GPS here is what we're seeing. Except the thing is, Abram didn't get to program in the final destination. Only God himself knew it. Imagine going to your car when you leave the service this morning and and opening up your GPS and saying, oh, great, wise, GPS, lead me where I should go. If Google's doing that, you may be in serious trouble. God's doing it here. The call's not detailed, but it's clear. Leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household. Call's not clear, but the call's really challenging, isn't it? The call, the call is here. Leave what you know to go to a life of unknowns. Leave what you know to go to a life of unknowns. It's, it's similarly, quite, quite similar to the call of discipleship for every believer when you think about it. Jesus said this, leave behind your life, come behind me, pick up a cross and follow me. Isn't that what we're called to? Die to yourself daily and come follow me. But I want you to see something really key here that I hope gives you comfort because every single one of us as a follower of Christ has been called to do something. And I want you to see what is quite visible in this text about the call. You will notice five times, you will notice five times that God says this, I will. I will. Look at verse 1. I will show you. It says, get up and go to where, to a place that I'm going to show you. I'm going to do this for you. Verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and, and those who dishonor you, I will curse. Five times in three short verses, it's made really clear to us here, you are just called to obey me, and I am going to accomplish these things for you. What we see here is the reality of the Christian life. God works, and he calls us to work, right? God works, but he calls us to work. Abram is called to go, but it's God who guarantees and who brings results. I want you to understand that when God says, I will do something, you can take that to the bank. He's going to do it. 
And over the course of the next weeks, we're going to see God honoring His Word to Abram. He does exactly what He says He's going to do. But what we're also going to see is, is that that trip that He takes Him on and that life that He leads Him to is really hard. It's difficult. But there's something else we've got to factor in here. Abram's 75 years old at this point. And he, he just now has been introduced to this Yahweh, the eternal self-existent one. He's just now been introduced to him. For 75 years, he's practiced his pagan religion he, he, he didn't go to Sunday school. He wasn't catechized. He wasn't raised in a Christian family. And 75 years into his life, this Yahweh comes and speaks to him, and, and he gets up and he goes. Folks, this is remarkable. There's nothing noteworthy about Abram. Nothing here is said about Abram that, that like God is in heaven. He's looking down at all of his creation, and he's like... That guy, Abram, stands out. He's the guy that I'm going to use. There's nothing noteworthy about this guy. Nothing at all. But God chooses him, which gives me hope. I don't know about you. Is there anything noteworthy, really noteworthy about you? Nothing noteworthy about me. But, but God uses no, people who are not very noteworthy, doesn't he? And what we see here is a promise, it's a foreshadowing of a covenant that he is going to make with Abram that is going to change the rest of mankind in history. He's going to make a promise with him. And that covenant will be made later on, but there's basically four parts to this covenant that we see here. I have a specific place for you. Make no mistake, God has a specific place for the descendants of Abram, and it's clearly dispelled out here. Two, you're going to be a great nation. Three, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to others. And fourth, your name is going to be great. Your name is going to be great. I want you to see this for what this is. This is God choosing Abram to be a key player in his redemptive story. Christ the Messiah would come from Abram's line. Matthew chapter 1, Christ is referred to in that genealogy, the son of David, son of Abraham. Luke, Luke's genealogy goes from Abraham back to Adam. God calls. And when God calls, we would be wise to follow the example of, of Abram here. God's placed a call on every single one of us because here's the thing, God never changes. Our teens learned about that Wednesday night. Pastor Andy taught them about the immutability of God and how God never changes. And if God called Abram way back long ago, he's still calling people to accomplish things for him today. And I want you to see, secondly, Abram's obedience here. In Moses' account, he just says this in verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord told him. 
He obeyed exactly as God told him. He obeyed fully, and he went exactly as God directed him. What you don't see in Moses' account here is that this is an 800-mile trip with family, with, 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 with livestock, with servants, with all this. This is a major undertaking here. And I'm so glad that God's given us the Hebrews text. I want you to keep your finger here and go back with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Because Hebrews chapter 11 fills in some, some gaps here that are really important for us. Got a question for you. What motivates that kind of obedience? What, what causes that kind of obedience? A God that you've not met shows up and makes a clear call in your life, and he says, just do what I tell you to do, and it's going to all work out. Just, just obey me. Just follow me. What, what motivates somebody to believe that and to follow that? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 makes it really clear what motivates it here. Look at verse 8. What are the first two words, church? What are they, church? By faith. By faith. So, aha, the reason God chose Abram to, to do this was he had more faith than anybody else here on earth. No. No. Moses doesn't say that for us. Abram stood out, just like before him, Abel stood out, and, and, and then Enoch stood out, and then Noah stood out. No, none of those people in the Hebrews account, none of them are notable. What's notable is what God does through them, and what's notable is, is what God gives to them, the same thing that he gives to you and I today. He gives us the gift of faith. He gives to us the faith. If you're under the impression that you have to manufacture faith, you've missed the mark. You cannot manufacture faith. You know what you can manufacture? and you do it really well, and I do it really well, we are good at manufacturing doubt. Anybody else with me on that? I can do that. My heart can produce doubt at high volumes. What my heart can't produce is faith. Go back up in the Hebrews account. Faith, verse 1, is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the confidence of things hoped for. Abram had a confidence about the promises of God that God gave to him. And ultimately, he had a confidence in the word of God. Because maybe Abram didn't get it in writing, but make no mistake, when God told Abraham to do that, that's the word of God. And he had an ultimate confidence in the word of God that you and I can't manufacture Here's how I know that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Before, before God intervened in your life, did you have the ability to please God? Did you, church? No. It took God to give you the gift of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And it's the same thing is true for Abraham. I know he's Old Testament and we're New Testament. The same thing's true for Abram. He could not please God unless God had given to him faith. And so this morning, if you possess faith, you ought to be very thankful to God that he's given it to you. You ought to be very grateful to God. 
Not only is it the confidence of things hoped for, but look at the second part of verse 1. It's the conviction of things not seen. True faith is not something that you and I can, can produce. We can't produce a conviction about anything. Not only did God give Abram the promise, but he gave Abram the faith to believe the promise. Not only does God give to you and I eternal life, but he gives us the faith to receive it. It's God who chose Abram to be the father of a great nation. It's God who gave him the promise. It's God who gave him the faith. And if it's true for Abram, is it true for you and I today? Is it? If you think that you have to match God's call on your life to obedience, and that's really what the call is, the call to obedience, if you think you have to match it, by producing enough faith to take him at his word, you're going to be spinning your wheels. Because you're not going to be able to manufacture enough faith to what God has called you to. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 11. Because in the brief moments that we have left, or Genesis chapter 12, I want you to see where this took Abram. So this 800-mile journey gets him into what we now know as modern-day Israel, right? And in verse 6, he passed through the land to the place at Shechem. What's interesting about Shechem is this. It is probably the the closest major city to, to the geographical center of the promised land. God takes him right to the center. If it was Ohio, he would have taken him to Centerburg, right? He takes him, he takes him right to the heart of the promised land, Shechem, and there in Shechem, notice what God does. He said, it knows this records for us. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now go back and remember what we saw in Genesis chapter 9. When God gives the promise to Shem, he says this, the Canaanites are going to dwell in your tents. But right now, what's it look like? Abram's going to have to dwell in whose tents? The Canaanites' tents, right? But he takes him right to the heart of it, and in verse 7, here's the goodness of God. God doesn't just take him there and say, hey, this is all yours. Notice what verse 7 says, God appeared to Abram. God knows when we're wrestling with doubt. Can you imagine being Abram, bringing his family, and as you're coming into Canaan, and, and, you're, and you're going through, everywhere you go, people are like, you ain't from here, are you? What are you doing here? That's a pretty big family you got there. What, what are your intentions, boy? I'm just following God, and he's bringing me here. What God are you following? Well, Yahweh, the eternal, self-existent one. And guess what? You'd meet some opposition, and you'd have some doubt, wouldn't you? I would. Notice what God does. He shows up, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said, To your offspring I will give this land. And what does Abram do? I love this. He's obeyed God. God now confirms his word to him. He says, this is the place. This is the land. This is it. You're here. Look around. Look north. When you came through that border up there, that's what you're going to do. And what we're going to see in verses 8 and 9 is he takes him the whole extent of the land because by the time you get to verse 9, he's now in the Negev, which is the farthest southern border of the promised land. And what God does is he takes him on a journey from north to south through the promised land. And when they get to the middle in verse 6, he says, hey, this is yours, verse 7. And then he says, 
you know what I'm going to do? Abram says, I'm going I'm to worship you. You're an amazing God. I'm going to build an altar here. Not only does he build one there, verse 8, he moved to the hill country, not too far away, to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east, and he built an altar there. Everywhere he's going, he's building altars to the Lord. In other words, he's putting the people on notice. Hey, the one true God of all creation is here. He's shown up. Can I say this to us all? Wherever God takes you on your journey, he wants you building altars. He wants you calling attention to his name. And Abram from day one, when he gets in there, he, he is now building altars. These altars aren't to himself. Notice very clearly, he, verse 8, he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. What do you suppose the neighbors are thinking? Hmm. What are they doing over there? What's this altar stuff? And, and who is this Yahweh they're talking about? God promises to make Abram's name great, and here's what Abram does. He goes around making God's name great. Do you see it? That's what he spends his time doing. No matter what God calls you and I to, maybe he's called you to be the best worker bee at, at your place where you work. He's called you to make disciples. We saw that, right? We've seen that. He's called you to, to be the best father to your children. He's called you to be the best grandmother. Whatever God has called you to, he has given you enough faith to accomplish that. And not only that, he's given you the ability to make his name great. And so early on, we see in Abram's life that he develops some really good habits as he's following this God. Now, what we're going to see next week is, is that it's really quick to, and easy to fall off the horse, okay? Lest you think that, that Abram is some great superhuman, just amazing Christian of all time, um, guess what? He's going to fall off the horse. So here's my recommendation to us all. Buckle up. We're going through the rest of Genesis. But also this. I really believe that, that all of us have a call. And I really believe that we need our faith increased to believe God's word, to just take him at his word. Would you agree with me? That, that I just need, what I need more this week than anything is just the faith to take God at his word. A faith that will step out in obedience to the word. A faith that will follow as God directs. A faith that will worship him every step of the journey. And what we're going to find out is there's some bad steps. And in fact, one of these times when Abram is called by God to build an altar, his son's life is on the line, we're going to find out. But yet he still calls on the name of the Lord. He still calls on the name of the Lord. Hey, Daryl's given me a note up on the screen back there. All the messages are available on Podbean. No, free of charge. Just go to www.jibchurch.com and click on the Podbean and you can listen to me all, all week long. <laughs> Isn't that great, church? <laughs> no, if you want to hear the first messages in the book of Genesis, they are available. Thank you, Daryl. Are, are we advertising anything on there? Are we, are we making any kind of money on this? 
Nothing? Nothing at all? <laughs> Not yet. Okay. <laughs> we'll figure out a way. We'll figure out a way, Garrett says. We've begun our journey with Abram. I pray to God that we leave at the end of this journey different by the time we get to the end of Joseph's life in chapter 50. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that not only have you called us to obey, but you've given us the means whereby we can obey. It's by faith. And Lord, I sometimes think that we think that Abram's call was more difficult than the call you put in our lives. Sometimes our call is just as blind. You, you call us to obedience when nobody around us is obeying, when it seems like there's nothing to be gained by obeying, and yet if we would just believe you and take you at your word and use the faith that you've given to us, we could do it. So I pray that we would do it well this week. May we, this week, live and walk by faith, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.